Acts chapter 10 uh, is where we'll be reading this morning. If you would all stand together. I'm uh, going to be reading the, the chapter in its entirety this morning. I really did try to break it up into two weeks, but it just didn't happen. Uh, really need to look at this all at once. Acts chapter 10, uh, reading verses 1 through 48. Uh, I'll read these verses for us if you just follow along. <clears throat> Acts 10, beginning with verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. Uh, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what this vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests, and the next day he arose and went with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and, having, uh, and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man." And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, Why you sent for me? Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, 
and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Uh, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who he had chosen, uh, who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Father, we ask now that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word. I pray that you would give me a clarity of mind as I uh, seek to explain and expound this text of scripture for us this morning. I pray that uh, each one of us would grow in our understanding of the gospel, uh, of your kingdom, of what it means to be uh, a part of the kingdom of God. <clears throat> I pray that you would... <clears throat> Uh, make our time profitable this morning. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Excuse me one moment. <clears throat> My voice is very weak this morning. Well, as I was uh, <clears throat> reading through the text for this morning, I wonder if any of you had the thought, well, here we go again. <clears throat> Another story in Acts where somebody gets saved. And it is that, but it's much more than that. This passage is very different because this is the first person to be saved who wasn't a Jew. Uh, most, if not all of us in this room today, are not of Jewish ethnicity. And so for us today, this passage is very significant. We are here today worshiping Christ because God has opened the kingdom up to include Gentiles here in Acts chapter 10. Now, there's a sense in which <clears throat> some of the perspective of Peter in the text today may seem a bit foreign to us. Uh, we're not Jews. We don't think in the same way that they do. And so this might uh, be hard for us to understand. But the Jews have always had a mentality of superiority. I remember when I was in high school back in uh, upstate New York, I uh, met a Jewish rabbi there, <clears throat> became acquainted with him. I wouldn't say friends, but we, we got to know each other somewhat. Uh, me and a friend from our church, we were out door knocking, inviting people to church, and uh, I came up to this one door, there was a Star of David there, and 
And so we knocked on the door, the guy opens it, he has a yarmulke on and all that, so I could tell he was a Jew. And I had picked up a little bit of Hebrew at that point, and so I said to him, Shalom Alechem, and he got really excited that I, uh, I knew a little bit of a, a greeting there. He looked very confused at first, and then he was really happy, invited us in, and uh, we got to talking. He was a very friendly, outgoing guy. Uh, we talked for quite a while that night, <clears throat> and in the course of our conversation, I remember he said to me, we Jews are very prideful people. Uh, we are the people that God has chosen uh, above all other people on earth. And he said it just matter-of-factly, uh, not, not apologetically or anything like that, but just like, the, the, like he was just stating a fact. And so for us as Gentiles this morning, we need to try and see the perspective that the Orthodox Jews have, like Peter here. Uh, they were God's people. They had always viewed the Gentiles, the non-Jews, as being uh, less important, really, uh, strict Jews, would not even enter the home of a Gentile, uh, because to do so would defile them ritually. They'd have to like go home, take a bath, be unpure for a few days, and things like that. So uh, there was no intermingling of Jews and Gentiles. And so what happens in our text today uh, is a major paradigm shift for Peter, and in the next chapter, really, for all of the church, uh, as they all come to grips with the fact that the kingdom of Christ isn't just about the Jews. It's going to include people from every nation under heaven. Uh, some of you have been with us since we started a couple of years ago preaching through the Gospel of Luke. And as you may recall throughout that study, uh, Jesus was, was slowly unraveling the understanding that the disciples had of the kingdom. They had been expecting uh, the Messiah to come and fight the Romans, to free them, uh, free their land so that Israel could be restored. The kingdom <clears throat> they took to just be having a king ruling in Jerusalem again. Uh, having their, their own rights as a nation. And so they were looking for the Messiah and his kingdom uh, to be all about the here and now, all, all about the nation of Israel uh, getting back to the way things were before Rome invaded and, and took over their land. And so Jesus had been uh, having to help them get rid of that idea and come to understand the kingdom quite differently. Uh, this is why it was such a shock to the disciples when Jesus died on the cross. That, that wasn't part of the plan. Uh, they were expecting Jesus to lead a military revolt to overthrow the Romans and establish his rule in Jerusalem. And so when Jesus instead was arrested and then killed, uh, they were very disillusioned. Uh, in Luke 24, you may remember, after Jesus had died, a couple of his disciples said of him uh, that Jesus of Nazareth was a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They had hoped that Jesus had come to free them from Rome. But he had in fact come to free them from sin. Uh, they were looking for Israel to be redeemed, but Jesus had come to be the savior of the whole world. And even after the resurrection, after Jesus was explaining these things to them, uh, right before he ascended back to heaven, they asked him in Acts 1, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're, they're still focused on this. And Jesus says in response to them in verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In other words, it's not just about Israel. It's going to start here in Israel. It's going to start in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Uh, but the goal is for the kingdom of Christ to include all nations of the world. Over in Luke 24, Jesus had said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, 
and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So this was the paradigm shift that Jesus uh, had been helping them with, to get their eyes off of uh, being saved from the occupying Romans and to understand that the salvation that he had come to give them wasn't a military uh, revolt against their enemies. It was something far greater, a salvation from their sin, forgiveness from God, eternal life, all made possible because Jesus lived a sinless life and died as our substitute. And I think at this point in Acts 10, getting back to our text, I think they had gotten that message. Uh, we've seen the disciples present the gospel time and time again throughout the book of Acts. They're not, no longer talking about overthrowing the Romans. Uh, they've, they've got the message. It has sunk in that Jesus came to save sinners. They had figured out that the gospel was about spiritual salvation, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is what they had been preaching. But there was yet another paradigm shift needed. And that was the fact that the kingdom of Christ would include non-Jews. They hadn't gotten this part figured out yet. Even though Jesus had said repeatedly, all nations, uh, my kingdom's going to go to the ends of the earth. Somehow it hadn't sunk into them. And so here in, in Acts chapter 10, with the conversion of a Gentile into the kingdom, this is the last step in them finally understanding what this Christianity thing was all about. Now, Christ was building his kingdom and it would include people from the whole world, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, all serving Christ. Jesus is Lord of all the earth, not just Israel. And they should have known this by now. Jesus said in, in Matthew 28, for example, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm Lord of all the earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so uh, the text before us today is a big one. Uh, the gospel had been preached all over Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, just like Jesus had said in Acts 1.8. Uh, Israel has been permeated with the message of Jesus' death and resurrection. Churches have been planted all over Israel, uh, in Jerusalem, in Samaria, in Joppa, in Lydda, in Caesarea. These are all places that we've seen so far in Israel. Now it was time for the gospel to launch out into all the nations of the world, all the people groups. And it starts with a man named Cornelius. Now, if you were here with us last week, uh, you know that Peter left Jerusalem. He headed up to Lydda for a little while. Uh, while he was there, he healed a paralyzed man named Aeneas. Uh, then the church in Joppa called him over to, to raise Dorcas from the dead. We saw that last week, so he heads to Joppa. And that's where we left Peter last week. He's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. Over in Caesarea is where Cornelius lived. Uh, we find that out in the first verse of our text. Acts chapter 10 verse 1 says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Um, a centurion was a Roman official who had authority over 100 soldiers. That's where the centurion title comes from. Uh, verse 2 says of Cornelius that he was a devout man who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. So Cornelius is a good man, uh, had a good reputation. He was even a religious man. He had come to believe that the God of Israel was the true God. And so verse 3 says that about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision 
an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, ninth hour of the day, by the way, around 3 p.m. Verse 4, he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So these three men are sent to Joppa uh, to ask Peter to come to Cornelius' house. Uh, the trip, by the way, would take him about a day and a half because it's roughly 30 miles between Caesarea and uh, and Joppa. So they leave in verse 8. Verse 9 says, The next day, uh, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Around noon, uh, they're almost to Joppa. Peter goes up on his housetop to pray. Verse 10 says, He became hungry and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. Uh, now, if you know anything about Jews, you know that they don't just eat anything. Uh, there are certain animals they're allowed to eat, certain ones that they're not allowed to eat. All of this is laid out in the Old Testament, where God told them uh, specifically, eat these animals, don't eat these. I think it's in Leviticus. There's a whole list of different types of animals uh, they're allowed to eat and different ones they're not. But on this sheet that Peter sees in his vision, there's all sorts of animals, clean and unclean. Uh, clean animals the Jews could eat. Unclean animals are ones they weren't supposed to eat. And both of them are there. Verse 13, there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And so Peter says in response, no, Lord, which is kind of an oxymoron, uh, no, master, uh, verse 15, the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And by the way, I'll just mention in passing, this is one of many texts in the New Testament that make clear to us that the Old Testament ceremonial laws, like these food laws, are done away with. Uh, they do not apply to us today as Christians. Maybe you've heard somebody uh, who is antagonistic toward Christianity bring up this point before. Uh, they'll say something like, oh, you believe the Bible? Then why are you wearing polyester? And why are you eating pork or whatever? Uh, that's all in the Bible. You're not supposed to be doing that. Well, uh, those people are not very well versed in the Bible. They just probably heard that argument on the internet and thought it was a slam dunk. Uh, the fact is that those sorts of laws were for Israel in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we're told explicitly uh, that those laws are done away. They were for a period of time for a specific people, uh, namely the Jews before Jesus. And so as Christians, we are not bound uh, by those restrictions today. And so Jesus tells Peter to eat. And Peter says, no, I, I've never eaten anything unclean in all my life. Jesus says to him, don't call unclean what God has made clean. And this happens three times, verse 16 says. Three times Jesus tells Peter to eat. Three times Peter refuses. This was hard for him to swallow. I'm really sorry about that. Uh, but for a Jew, these food laws uh, were, were a part of their Jewish identity. And so to violate this, uh, this was something that they just didn't do. It would be like breaking the Sabbath or something. As a Jew, you just wouldn't eat these animals. Verse 16, this happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. 
Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. And they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. And so you get the timeline, this is all happening at once. As he's seeing this vision, the sheet disappears, and all of a sudden there's a knock at the door. Uh, And the Spirit says to him, there's three people down there looking for you. Verse 20, rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Again, this would not be normal for a Jew. Uh, Jews don't go to visit Gentiles in their homes. That's not a thing that you do. And so God has to make it very clear to Peter, yes, I'm telling you to do this. And so he just you know, says it to him in, in multiple ways. Uh, I've sent them. I've orchestrated all of this. Don't hesitate. Go with them. Verse 21, Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? Verse 22, they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he, Peter, invited them in to be his guests. And the next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. That's a very important phrase at the end there. Uh, so they, they spend the night with Peter and Joppa. They head out on the next day, again, about a day and a half for them to get uh, from, Caesar, or from Joppa, in this case, back to Caesarea. And notice that Peter brings with him some of the brothers from Joppa. So these would be Jews, uh, part of the church there in Joppa, Christian Jews, uh, and they're going with, with Peter. This is going to be very significant for next week, so file this away in your mind. Uh, they all head out to Caesarea. Verse 24 says, On the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his friends, uh, sorry, his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So he tells them, hey, you all know this isn't normal. Jews don't go visit in Gentiles' homes. Uh, But God has showed me very clearly that I should come. Verse 29. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? So Peter still doesn't quite understand what he's doing there. He knows that God has led him there. Uh, God wants him to be there, but he doesn't quite get why. And so he asked Cornelius, why did you ask for me? Verse 30, Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And so he basically says, what is the message that the Lord has commanded you to preach, Peter? We'd like to hear it. Uh, Well, Peter knew that message. He had been preaching it all over Israel. He had preached it on the day of Pentecost back in chapter 2. And now, through a vision, God has basically commanded Peter to preach that message to these Gentiles. 
And so Cornelius says, please tell us. And I imagine that there was a long pause here as Peter is slowly coming to the realization of what God is doing. Verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what has happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And they would have known all of this. Jesus was quite famous throughout Israel. Uh, he had healed people. He had done all sorts of miracles that drew crowds. Uh, people knew the parables that he had taught. And so they would have heard about all of this. Verse 39, Peter continues, We are witnesses of all that he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. I think Peter mentions specifically that we ate and drank with Jesus after he rose from the dead. To get the point across, this wasn't some a spirit floating around us or some vision. Jesus was truly raised back to physical life. His body could be touched. He ate food. We are witnesses of this. So Peter says, we saw him. For 40 days, we were with Jesus after he was raised back to life. And then verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. At the end of human history, all the living and the dead will be brought before Christ. The dead will be raised and all of us will stand before Jesus. He will judge us and determine our eternal destiny. And so Peter says, you asked for the message that we've been proclaim, uh, commanded by the Lord to preach. Here it is. Jesus died and rose again, and he will judge us all one day. In verse 43, to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Here is how you can be saved, how you can be accepted by Christ on judgment day. Believe in him. If you place your faith in Christ, your sins will be forgiven and you'll enter his kingdom. You can have eternal life. Verse 44 says, while Peter was still saying these things, so he's right in the middle of talking, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. These Gentiles believed the gospel that Peter was preaching to them. They were instantly saved and they received the Holy Spirit. Verse 45, the believers from among the circumcised that had come with Peter, so those are the, the Jews from the church in Joppa that Peter had brought with them, they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So the very same phenomena back in Acts 2, the day at Pentecost, that happened to the Jewish Christians was now happening to these Gentiles. And so they couldn't deny the fact that they have been given the same Holy Spirit. They've been saved just like we were. Uh, verse, uh, end of verse 46, Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now there's a lot to unpack here. We're just going to scratch the surface today. Uh, next week we're going to dig into this a little bit more. But in this moment, the Jews and the Gentiles were made one in Christ. 
They trusted in the same gospel. They had submitted to the same Lord. They were given the same Holy Spirit, and now they were given the same baptism. And this event is a major turning point in Acts, uh, because now the church opens up beyond just Israel, beyond just the Jews, to go to the ends of the earth. This was the final paradigm shift that Peter had needed. And now that it's taken place, he realizes that Jesus died and rose to save the world. People from all over the globe worshiping and serving Christ. That is the end goal for which we all work. Uh, setting aside the, the Jew-Gentile issue for just a minute, let's also look at this text as a conversion story. Because while there is a lot of significance, of course, uh, to the fact that this is the first Gentile conversion and the kingdom has been opened up beyond just the Jews, uh, there's also just the fact that Cornelius and his friends here were saved. Their lives were forever transformed. Their sins were forgiven. And there's a few lessons that I think we can learn here just in terms of uh, personal evangelism, how we share Christ with those around us. First of all, notice how God had prepared both the messenger and the recipient of the message separately and then brought them together. He had worked on Peter's heart to get him willing to present the gospel to Cornelius. He had given Cornelius this vision so that he would ask for Peter, and then he brings them all together. And I'm not necessarily, necessarily saying that God does this all the time and he gives people visions like this today, but I do think that God still works behind the scenes to bring salvation to the lost. As you look back over your life, maybe you can see various ways that God has prepared you uh, to be an instrument to bring the gospel to others. Hopefully, uh, if I'm doing my job well as a pastor, you're coming to church here week after week, uh, hopefully you're learning better how you can present the gospel uh, with others, how you can share your faith with those around you. So God is preparing you to do what Peter did here with Cornelius and his friends. But then also notice that God prepares the recipient of the message as well. As we tell the gospel to others, as we share our faith with those around us, we never know how God may be working in the life of that person. Maybe it's somebody on your, in your family, somebody on your street, uh, somebody that you work with. Uh, God has been working in their life through circumstances that you may have no idea about. And they may be ready and waiting for us to share Christ with them. And if you aren't sure exactly what to tell people, uh, you want to share the gospel with them, but you're not sure what to say, here's a great model here in Acts chapter 10 that Peter provides for us. How to preach the gospel according to Acts 10. Here it is. Number one, good news is through Jesus Christ. Verse 36, uh, salvation from sin is only found in Christ. Number two, Jesus is Lord of all. Present the lordship of Christ. Uh, that he is Lord of all, which means we must submit our lives to Christ. Number three, Jesus lived a sinless life. He died in our place and he rose again. This is always the heart of the gospel. Uh, Jesus lived a perfect life. He went about doing good, as Peter said. He died for our sins. He rose back to life. And then tell them, number four, that judgment day is coming. We are all lost in our sins. We stand before Christ as guilty of breaking his laws. None of us can avoid this meeting with God. All the living and the dead must stand before him. And then number five, you can be forgiven of all your sins through faith in Jesus. This is why it's called the good news, the gospel. You can be forgiven. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God on Judgment Day, but He, in His love for us, has made a way for us to be saved. If we will repent and turn to Christ, we can be forgiven of all our sins and granted eternal life. This is our message as a church, this is our message as Christians. 
We aren't supposed to go into the world and try to convince people to give Jesus a try because he can fix your problems, he can give you prosperity, you'll get that raise at work, you'll have obedient pets or whatever. Uh, no, we have nothing to sell. Uh, the gospel isn't a sales pitch about all the wonderful things that will happen to you if you become a Christian. The gospel is a warning of coming judgment, and it is a message of salvation from sin, how you can be forgiven and transformed by Christ. This is what we go into all the world preaching, that Jesus died to save sinners. Next, also notice from our text that salvation precedes baptism. Always in the book of Acts, uh, as we see time and time again, someone is saved and then they get baptized. The idea of uh, baptizing a baby at birth is simply unbiblical. Uh, you see here Cornelius, all of his friends, they're saved and instantly, uh, as they're, they're hearing the gospel, they receive it by faith. Uh, they don't do certain works to be saved. They were saved right there by faith as they heard and received the message of Christ. The Spirit comes on them. Peter is not even done talking yet, and the Holy Spirit falls on them. They were saved in that moment. And then Peter commanded that they be baptized. And so that's the order. You hear the gospel, you respond with faith and repentance, and then you get baptized. Uh, there is no salvation by works or sacraments. There's nothing that you can do. Uh, to earn salvation. It's only by hearing and receiving the message of Christ. Paul wrote in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you earn it, it isn't a gift, it's a wage. The wages that we earn by our sin is death, being condemned on judgment day. That's what we earn by our sinful lives. But the gift that we could never earn is eternal life and salvation through Christ. It's given to us as a free gift if we will repent and trust in Christ for salvation. Yield ourselves to him, trust in his death and resurrection, and you will be saved and sealed with the Spirit immediately. And then you get baptized to publicize your commitment to Christ. Uh, if you're here today and you're unsure if you're saved, you can settle that right now. You've heard a pretty clear gospel presentation here in Acts chapter 10. Uh, do you believe it? that Jesus died, that he rose again, that he bore your sins on the cross. Repent of your sins, submit yourself to Jesus as Lord, and you will be saved today. And if you have been saved uh, and you'd like to be baptized, maybe you were saved years ago, maybe you were saved today, either way, baptism is the next step for you. Uh, that was the very first thing that Peter said. Okay, you've, you've clearly, these people have clearly been saved, they've received the Holy Spirit, uh, time to get baptized. We've had several folks in our church here uh, over the last couple of years, get baptized. If you'd like to have more information about that, you know, ask your questions about it. Uh, find me, find my wife after the service. Uh, we would love to sit down and talk through that, uh, talk to you about that. Again, doesn't matter if you've been in church all your life or if this is your, your first Sunday. If you hear, the, hear and believe the gospel and you want to give your life to Jesus, we would be happy to baptize you. One last point I'd like to make, and this will bleed over into next week. Uh, remember the vision back in the, in the early part of the chapter of all those animals on the sheet coming down. Uh, I will warn you right here that what I'm about to say is not crystal clear in the text. Okay, normally I try to just stick with what's right there in front of you so you can see it for yourself. Uh, but I think this is the case. I can't prove it though. I think that in that vision of the sheet, there were clean and unclean animals all mixed together on the sheet to represent Jews and Gentiles being all together as one church. And then at the end, when at the end of the vision, when the sheet is received back up into heaven, 
uh, that that is a, a, a basically a representation of how in the end, uh, Jews and Gentiles alike will be welcomed into the eternal kingdom. I think that's the symbolism there of the sheet uh, and the animals and what that represents. God never meant for the Jews to be his only people. This is what the Jews got wrong. Uh, they were chosen by God to be the instrument, uh, not the end in themselves, but the vehicle for God to reveal himself to all the world. This wasn't plan B. Uh, God made this clear even way back in Genesis 12, way back when God chose Abraham and said, I'm going to make this nation of Israel through your descendants. God clarified even to Abraham that the end goal was for all the world to know him. Genesis 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is 12 pages into the Bible. And God tells Abraham, all the families across the globe will be blessed through Israel, through your descendants. And so the Jews were never to be an end in themselves. They were the vehicle for God to reveal his scripture, to reveal his son to the world. Israel was an instrument to reveal God to the nations. And what a privilege it is for the Jews to have been chosen by God for this high honor of being the ones that God would reveal himself through. But they had mistaken their status of God, as God's chosen people. They thought that this meant that God didn't care about anybody else but them. And now Peter has come to realize that Christianity is not just a subset of Judaism. It was bigger than just the Jewish people. It would include Gentiles as well. God chose the Jewish people to be the launch pad for the kingdom to all the nations and to all ethnicities. And I think one reason that speaking in tongues happens back in chapter 2 was for this moment in Acts 10, where it happens once again, so that these Jews would see a verifiable sign of tongues in Cornelius and his Gentile friends, and they would recognize that the Jews and the Gentiles had been united in Christ together. Christianity brought together these groups of people. We are one in Christ. Racial divisions should not matter to Christians because we are one in Christ. Class divisions should not matter to us because we are one in Christ. We're going to get into some of that more next week. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. All Christians, whatever your background, whatever your ethnicity, whatever differences we may have, we are one family. We serve the same Lord, and we ought to recognize each other as brethren. One final text to close this morning, Galatians 3. For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, no group in the church is more important than others. We are all equals. We are all one in Christ.